Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. Today we're going to be rounding up the very hottest news in road, gravel and mountain bike tech from the past week. And joining me today is Tom Marvin, Bike Radar's Senior Mountain Bike Technical Editor and Simon Von Bromley, Senior Tech Writer on the roadie side. Before we get stuck in though, we're going to wrap up our week on two wheels. Tom Marvin, what riding have you been doing this week? Uh, I've had a lovely... well. As you may or may not know, uh, if you're in the southwest of the UK, we had an amazing weekend for what is early mid-October. Amazing, but perhaps concerningly out of season at 22 degrees on Sunday. Let's not think about that aspect of things too much. um, Enjoy it while it lasts. eh? The weather was uh, insanely good. So uh, on Saturday, uh, I've got a Ragley Bigwig, which is a sort of agro steel hardtail um, built with some... Uh, test bits and pieces. So I took that to a place called Staunton in the Forest of Dean mm-hmm. and shredded the gnar Ooh, yes. um, with some pals, which was great fun. We stopped for an ice cream in the middle. I had a lotus ice cream, you know, those lotus biscuit things. Oh, I thought um, you meant like a lotus flower yeah. at first oh, right. for no, a no, second. No, no. You know those like, little yeah. biscuits you get with your coffee? Biscoff. Um, and a Biscoff, that was it, really, yeah. Uh, and uh, as my friend Brett said, uh, it's the best thing he's ever eaten on a stick, um, <laughs> which kind of extends to uh, ice creams and corn dogs. Wow. Wow. Um, uh, and then yesterday I made full use of the nice weather and went down to uh, the Chilterns and the Ridgeway uh, with oh, so a cross-country bike, is it? In, yeah, ah. in, in Tring. Oh, lovely, yeah. Beautiful down that way. Um, and went for a, a bit of an XC smash, smashed out a few miles. Wonderful. Simon Von Bromley, have you been out shredding sunny road miles? No, I haven't. Actually, I was pretty tired this weekend. Um, I've been doing a lot of, sadly, a lot of indoor riding because we've been testing things already. Rubbish. I did a, I did a Zwift crit last week in the middle of uh, the middle of the week whilst I was testing the uh, Wahoo Kick and Move, and that was an interesting experience actually because it's the first kind of like crit in inverted commas that I'd done on Zwift, and it and it has none of the kind of it was the know, danger good, good of a regular crit, yeah, but it has none of the kind of danger and the excitement of a real world crit. You know, there's no kind of jostling elbow. So whilst that kind of opening few minutes of uh, you know adrenaline, everyone does go you know off the off the line, off the gun, and it's really hard for a few minutes. But then it kind of settles down, and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm still in my bedroom. Just just, pe- just pedaling circles. <laughs> well, not, not even, yeah, not even pedaling, not even going around a circle. Do you, do you just... like sprint out of corners on a Zwift crit, or uh, no, you just no, because there's, there's, there's no There's no freewheeling, there's no cornering, you know, there's no <laughs> jostling elbows, there's no snapping of carbon frames and wheels, and no brake squealing. And You don't get to make fun of people for buying really expensive, overpriced uh, alley sprints. That's a classic <laughs> of the, yeah, uh, I don't, the Instagram no one, world. No screaming at you to hold your line (laughs) well for me I've been a poorly boy unfortunately but I've been back on bikes uh, as of yesterday nice little gentle pushel on one of the bikes we're going to talk about today but before that I thoroughly enjoyed 
shouting a lot at um, at a hill climb on Saturday. It was very good fun. Mm-hmm. Went and spectated at Belmont, which is the University of Bristol's hill climb. And I was very sad I wasn't riding. The highlight of that, though, was Felix Smith, our video manager and f- close friend. Uh, he arrived two minutes late. He was two minutes off late and he got a penalty for it. So. He was two minutes late for his start time? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we were all at the bottom, or rather halfway up, thinking that he'd had some sort of catastrophic <laughs> accident. No, he was just late, silly boy. What was his penalty? I th- I need to double check this, but I think it's an additional minute for every minute you're late. Oh, so wow. on a three-minute hill climb, if you're two minutes late, he's, he went <laughs> he went from a, a moderate <laughs> mid-pack to <laughs> quite near the bottom. Could they not just like add a kilo to your bike? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, back onto current affairs, and we're going to kick things off. I'm looking around the room. I, th- I think I'm going to go with Simon von Bromley. Let, 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 let's start things off with the news that maybe, finally, do-it-yourself aero sensors and wind tunnel testing of a sort could be here. Simon, I've just butchered the description of what's actually launched. You dive in because you're a man who knows what you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. So you're talking about the, uh, the aero sensor aerodynamic cycling system, which uh, launched uh, just a few days ago. And um, it's, it's a really interesting one, this, because... You know, we've seen these kind of devices before. They kind of measure the wind speed, they and they you know t- take your power data, speed data, you know, some assumptions about rolling resistance, and they basically, you know, they kind of take all of the forces into account, and then what's left in theory is your kind of aerodynamic drag. So, you know, we see these kind of devices used in motorsport, and the person behind AeroSensor is Dr. Barney Garud, who has a PhD in aerodynamics and has previously worked at Ferrari, wow. Mercedes. So, you know, smart, smart guy. And, you know, basically it's taking this kind of device and you know, attempting to um, put it onto a bike. Now, the kind of interesting thing that uh, differentiates AeroSensor from other companies that have great name product. by the way just as a total aside mm, like as yeah. a SEO focused <laughs> name I mean, you really couldn't get better than calling your AeroSensor brand AeroSensor I really really like that <laughs> very smart guy I guess but yeah like compared to something like the, the Notio for example which already exists or you, you know, you've got the, the kind of Velocomp AeroPod um, this has a kind of redesigned pitot tube, which is a little kind of probe that you know sticks out the front of your bike and measures the wind speed. And um, Dr. Garud said that basically the kind of previous ones, which kind of used the kind of long nose-like probe, you know, kind of thing you might see on the front of an aeroplane, like mm. those are very good in low yaw, but because of the kind of you know, relatively slow speeds of a bicycle, actually you get a lot more high your angles and therefore he kind of redesigned their sensor to take these into account but they've also produced uh, a couple of extra um uh, well components to the system and one of them i think the kind of most interesting one is the one called the aero body which is like a kind of body position sensor and the big problem with you know measuring aerodynamic drag on the bike is that you know unlike in a wind tunnel where you've got someone running the test and you know they might like proje- projection map uh, a picture of you onto the floor so you can make sure you're maintaining the same position. You know, an on-bike sensor. <laughs> yeah, sorry, just cycling tech's mad. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. You know, an on-bike sensor has no idea whether or not you're holding mm. a consistent position. And, you know, if you're testing the difference between, say, you know, two helmets or two wheel sets or, you know, what you know, whatever it is, the difference between those two things is in all likelihood going to be way smaller than any change in body position. So it's really important to keep a consistent body position if you want to test something else. And the aero body uses kind of you know, lasers, 
in uh, Austin Power speak, you know, optical sensors to basically determine whether you're kind of keeping a consistent body position. Do you have to put those funny ping pong balls on your shoulders? No, <laughs> you don't. Basically, it sits on your stem and, you know, you kind of say, right, I'm in a set position. You, you, know, you kick your kind of Garmin Connect IQ app and say, this is my set position. Maybe you have to get someone else to do it in case you move your hand back yeah. and forth. But um, like, and then if you deviate from that, it will give you a little notification. And apparently, it's it's kind of accurate to sort of you know points of a centimeter. Are, or those, are like the that. lasers there to sort of measure you or to zap you? you <laughs> well, that would be better, wouldn't it? A little a little electronic probe that yeah, kind of Pavlovian conditioning. With with this particular um, system. So as you've mentioned, we have had other systems in the market before, but they've never really taken off. You you seem quite enthused by this one. What in particular about the AeroSensor do you think could make it a viable system? Um, so I, I think with one with systems in the past, the, the, the difficulty with them has been this uh, that you can't measure, you have you need basically like a wind-free environment because as is kind of alluded to already, the sensors can only cope with low yaw angles, uh, and also they have kind of complicated, you know, uh, calibration procedures. You know, you would often need to, you know, you basically need a wind and traffic-free environment. You have to do a kind of out and back thing to get your out and back loop to get your kind of calibration right, and 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 it just they kind of like they're difficult to use basically, mm. and. The kind of main selling point of the aero sensor is that it's supposedly kind of much easier to use in the sense that because it has this, uh, I hesitate to say unique because our, our sub editor Helen always used to ban <laughs> <laughs> <Band> phrase. <laughs> yeah, it's a banned phrase, but it has a, a specific design for its wind sensor that enables it to cope with these uh, mm. higher yaw angles, which basically means you know you shouldn't have to wait for a perfectly wind free. You know, because when is there an when is there ever a wind free day? It, that's just impossible. Um, and, and according to Dr. Garud, it's it's very easy to get set up. It self-calibrates as well. So that's, you know, supposedly mm. quite useful. It all kind of, you know, rather than using Bluetooth to, to connect to a kind of mobile phone app, it works, it's integrated via ANT Plus into a Garmin Connect IQ app, which gives you then the live data as you're riding. So I, I don't, you know, for me, the kind of ease of use is the stumbling block. You know, if we think about where power meters are now mm. compared to 20 years ago, you know, most people know how they can use a power meter because you basically you put it on your bike and it starts putting numbers to a head unit. You know, you, the calibration procedure for a power meter is very simple. And if even if you don't do it, most of them have auto calibration functions yeah. that do it as you ride. So, and that's the big hurdle for me. You know, I, I, I've kind of made, we, we, we do our lovely like tech predictions for the coming year. And one of mine was that aerosensors were not going to be the new power meter because I felt that there were too many kind of ease of use hurdles to overcome. You know, because the Notios, for example, they are already in use by smart people. Not dumb people like us. Well, yeah, but exactly. That's the problem, right? Like if if you want, you know, it has to be idiot proof to a certain <laughs> extent. And, and, you know, because, you know, uh, the guy who I've already talked about, the the, the founder of this, Dr. Barney Green, he has a PhD in aerodynamics. You know, I, I definitely don't have a PhD in aerodynamics. So if if I'm going to be able to get usable data from this, then that would be very impressive. 
Interesting. All right. Well, if you want to read the full story on that, as ever, the link to that is in the description. I'm sure we'll have more to come on that in the near future. I can see Tom Marvin's eyes glazing over at the thought of aero sensing, but uh, maybe you'll be just <laughs> Not the man. something that comes into my I thought it was quite interesting because that uh, aero sense has been around for a little while. I've seen little snippets of it every now and again, and I think it's kind of, you know. Mm. Yes, we'll definitely see. And I hope Simon will be slippier. Slippier than ever. <laughs> well, I think the you know the main goal for for me for example would just be to use it to inform our testing. You know because w- this is a perennial issue for us is that you know someone launches this and says oh it's more error than ever right but we have not really got a way of testing that. Mm. So, we invested in a podcast studio not a wind tunnel. We did. Yeah, which you know I forever regret forever that. bemoan. <laughs> <laughs> um but if this can you know provide a way of getting some usable data f- you know for testing error helmets wheel sets and that sort of thing then that could be a real boon for our audience. Mm. Very quick question, Simon. If you did have a PhD in aerodynamics, what would you be doing with your life right now? Not working here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Anyway. (laughs) Well, I don't know, for example, but I imagine Ferrari and Mercedes pay slightly. (laughs) They might do. I don't know. (laughs) On to Tom Marvin. I want to hear your gossip for the day, and that is the news that Orbea has updated its Rallon trail bike. Oh, it's, it's the Occam. Oh, sorry. Yeah, so the Occam is their uh, mid-travel trail bike. You obviously have the Oith, which is their... Oith? Oith. <laughs> Every time you talk about that bike, you really make an effort to pronounce yeah, it like... You have to. It's, you I know, know, it's good. I, I like it. It's I like, like it. as a croissant, as opposed to croissant. Croissant. Um, just speak English, just mate. speak English. <laughs> so they've got the, the, the aforementioned XC bike, uh, and they have the Rallon, or the Rallon, which is their Enduro bike, and in the middle is the Occam. Um, and traditionally, it's kind of been their, you know, mid travel aggressive trail bike um, but they split it uh, into a 140mm uh, Occam SL uh, and a 150mm LT which is kind of following the name convention that you find across mountain biking SL means super light generally means short travel light away and LT means long travel um, they both come in aluminium and they both come in carbon fibre um, the SL gets 140mm of travel front and back uh, and the LT gets uh, 150mm at the back uh, on a 164 so nothing super surprising there they're just sort of like very neat looking um, probably pretty rather good trail bikes like mm. I rode the previous generation Occam uh, when I went on the launch um, and I genuinely thought in that time which would have been about 2019 just pre-pandemic I think it was probably the best trail bike I'd ridden that year without a shadow of a doubt mm. um, so these ones I suspect are going to be pretty good and our colleague Nick Clark did go on the launch uh, but I've not managed to tie him down to have a chat about how did well he get a rode. haircut on this launch no haircuts on this <laughs> no launch haircuts no on this launch no but, uh, I noticed on this one thing I thought it was quite interesting is the LT and SL bikes use the same frame set. The yes. difference being that the SL uses a shock extender and there's no like flip chip or anything. This is quite a slimmed down system, I would describe it as. Yeah, I mean, apparently your bear say it takes 15 seconds to swap between the two. And in theory, if you had both of the yokes for the shock, you could effectively have an SL and an LT. Um, you probably want to change the build kit on them just to match it out. It'd be a bit weird to would run a 140 to? fork. I wouldn't bother. I always wonder this with these like sort of like generally with like geometry adjustable mm. bikes and like bikes with multiple travel options. Mm-hmm. Like the first question I would ask is like how many people actually use these features? Yeah. But also like why? Why? Why not I... just make it good? Mm. There's also uh, in the UK, I think the vast majority of people will just put it in the low and slack position. Yeah. Um, the only time that's ever not been the case was with the uh, specialised stump jumper Evo that they launched in, I think, 2018. I remember it. 
unbelievably, unbelievably low. <laughs> it was very good. At I remember I, I went on the launch of that when I was a young man, Tom, oh. and uh, you could smack pedals all day long. I run it. I run it for a year as a long-term bike, and I put it straight into the higher setting. But every every other bike I've ever had with a geometry just adjust flip chip or whatever it is, put it in low travel one, put it in long travel one. And just get on with it. Um, there are market. I've asked a number of brands about this, and there are markets where people prefer the the higher steeper one. It tends to be like Southern Europe, you know, Italy, mm. Spain, Germany. Um, that's what they sort of tend to prefer, not exclusively. But um, I spoke to there was a brand who had uh, a carbon fiber trail bike, uh, which had you know a flip chip in it mm. with a long low and slack and a slightly higher, slightly longer because if you raise everything yeah. and make it steeper, it gets a longer reach. Um, and then they made an aluminium sort of cheaper version, which didn't have the flip chip, but it had the steep seat angle of the high. It had the long reach of the high and the slack head angle of the low. And you're kind of like, well, why not just make that one? Cause yeah, that's, that's, that sounds good. Um, anyway, we, we've, we've, we've... No, I'd like to hear, I think, let's put this one out to the listeners. I think mm. this is a future topic and perhaps something to, to grill our wonderful audience on. Do you ever use uh, the flip chips on your bike if you have them? Do you think they're pointless or do you think they give versatility, which is welcome for your riding? I think we've made our feelings clear, but I'd like to hear yours at podcast at bikerader.com. I think it could be quite an interesting topic. I think it could be. Um, So back to the bikes. The SLs uh, start at £2,999, so about three grand, just under €3,000 and just over $3,000, and they go up to, you know, your typical five figures. Uh, And the LT is about another 500 quid on top, but it tops out at under 9,000 or 8,000 of your respective um, amount. So, you know, the the high-end bikes, they come with a Mayo thing. Um, And they don't use the top-end carbon, they use the... uh, a, uh, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly scroll through to where our Nick has written <laughs> HMX or is it HMO? One of the two. Doesn't use a super top end carbon, but I don't think that's a problem. It's not like a race bike here. It's a, it's a trail bike. You skimmed slightly over the Mayo customization program. I love there. Mayo. I think, I think it's honestly is... one of the best things any bike company offers. I genuinely like the, for what you get for the a, a marginal additional cost I think Orbe has really nailed it with the custom painting but also the custom spec I always remember Simon you tested that aero bike Orca aero Orca, Orca aero very cool looking bike mm. had a great paint job very very cool bike so if you want, if you don't know what Mayo is basically when you go and buy your bike Orbe are one of these cool brands where you can buy a bike from Orbea.com um, uh, and they'll deliver it to your local dealer who can then build it up and set it up. So it's kind of quite nice, like in between the direct-to-consumer and uh, bricks and mortar shopping mm. experience. Um, and if you buy it online, um, you can change uh, some components when you buy it. So you can you know, either make it better value or make it a bit higher end um, or pick what you like, you know, different tires, that sort of thing. But also, not every bike in the, in the range has it, but if you, if you go for my thing, you can change the colors of like, the logos you can change the color of the top tube maybe or the rocker link or the between like a whole raft of different options and then you can get little graphics on them and it doesn't cost anything the only thing it costs is the fact that instead of maybe waiting a week for it to arrive it takes maybe six or seven weeks mm. what um, color would you get your bike tom other than obviously bike radar blue and orange or blue and orange um this is going to sound a little bit oh i don't know chintzy but i a union jack a right union <laughs> jack right along the top tube um <laughs> A coronation <laughs> special. <laughs> I had um, I had an Oith test bike. I hate saying that word now because I feel oh, like I'm making you shy. I had an Oith uh, <laughs> test bike uh, in black and gold, and the front bl- mm, the head I tube was sort it. of black with like a marble effect, and it sounds 
it doesn't sound great. It looked, looked really unreal. cool. It did it look was really very, cool. very cool. Um, other cool things about them uh, in the main pivot for the Rocker Link for suspension, there's like a little multi tool that sort of pulls out a bit like the. There's a few people making those sort of things. Um, quite like the them. You're looking at me as if I've got an answer for you. Don't I don't. Um, and obviously, you know, there is uh, the the angles and everything change between the LT and the SL. Um, it's, it's basically. I hate to say it, but like it, it looks just like a really sorted package. There's nothing like really stands out as being this is incredible. But what it looks like is like that's why I'd spend my money on and I think I probably would final question are you going to be testing this or anybody on the mountain bike team fingers crossed um, it'd be great to get one in for trail bike of the year uh, which is coming up of course or bear if you're listening please send us one for trail bike <laughs> of the year um, and if not then I certainly will be making moves to try and get um, one of them in for testing in Ember UK and Bike Radar at some point wonderful stuff well Perhaps you should subscribe to our scintillating newsletter so when Tom does have that review live on the site, you'll get a notification to your inbox, the most private of online spaces, but somewhere I think we deserve to be with our, <laughs> with our excellent twice-weekly newsletter. You can sign up to that on the Bike Radar website. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the tech news today. I'm actually going to spring something on Simon and Tom at the end here, a little bonus. I'm not going to tell them what it is. But... Um, I've been testing the new Canyon Grail. <gasps> wow. Yes, how exciting. It is uh, Canyon's new go-fast gravel race bike. And let's get something out of the way. The hover bar is dead. Wow. I know, I know. The hover that, was, that was the USP. <laughs> the hover bar defined the original Grail. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's so hard to describe. Google it, I would say that. <laughs> but basically... It was a double-decker handlebar. It was a double-decker double handlebar. handlebar. It was a drop bar. But rather than connecting at the clamping area on the handlebar, there was an additional bar which bridged the gap between the hooks of the drops. So essentially you had the upper half of a drop bar sort of floating, hovering oh. in midair. Now Canyon claimed that the system was designed to increase front-end compliance without the complications of suspension while giving additional hand positions. And I did ride it, and it was comfortable, I will not deny that, and the hand positions were good. But it did attract quite a lot of unwanted attention, and the cynic in me wonders whether Canyon perhaps uh, <laughs> designed it to get headlines and memes flowing, and it worked. But anyway, the, the handlebar has uh, been ditched in favour of what Canyon's calling the new double drop bar, which is a pretty vanilla um, integrated cockpit with some really nice shaping that works quite well for off-road mm. riding. But the key story behind this bike for me is its geometry. It's kind of gone in... I'm not going to say... I'm not going to say unique because hell will fall out with me, as I just mentioned, but in, a, in an unusual direction for a gravel race bike in that it is really, really long at 1,080 millimetres. Now, last year, at the start of the year, I tested three... What, what, sorry, what figure are we... Oh, wheelbase, wheelbase sorry, wheelbase. wheelbase, 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 wheelbase I was like, 1,080 millimetre reach? How long <laughs> is it? <laughs> Superman's over. Superman, yeah. <laughs> um, last year, at the start of the year, I tested three gravel race bikes, this, I mean, specialised crux kind of gravel race bike, gravel race-ish, uh, Rave and the Trek checkpoint. Now, if that bike, had, this new bike rather, had been part of that test, it would have been the longest by a long shot. Interesting thing though is that the chain stays between all four of those bikes is pretty much exactly the same, like roughly 425 millimeters. So it's all entirely at the front center on this grail. Now, no one figure defines a bike's geometry, but like looking at the direction Canyon's gone in, where they've tried to make it more stable. 
comfortable gravel race bike. They've absolutely nailed it. I think it's hands down the best riding gravel bike I've ever ridden. Is it? Is it a combo of reach and head angle or...? Reach and head angle, but mostly like just, I mean, I know front center is a combination of mm. all of those, but yeah, the reach is fairly long. You have like a 70 mil stem paired with the reaches, but like longish reach <laughs> and then a fairly raked out fork. Like it's not crazy um, long, the trail or the rake I should say, but like it's, it's, it's long mm. for a gravel bike. And that you know, on the, on the trails and on the road really translates into a bike, which is incredibly predictable, calm and very, very good fun to ride. But then with those relatively short chain stays, it's not like sluggish and treacly climbing. But yeah, honestly, I think if I was in the market for a gravel race bike today, having ridden quite a few of them, I think this would be my pick of the bunch. The big the big one that stands out I haven't ridden would be something like the BMC Caius, mm -hmm. which is a very specialist gravel race bike. I would quite like to play on that. But kind of thinking about the bikes I enjoy and what I want from it, the grail is up there for me. The other thing I think which makes this bike stand out from the rest of the market is its suite of accessories which have come with it. Um, it's got down tube storage. It's very well designed. It's very neat. I like that on the top two models, not the third tier one. But it's elsewhere where I, I think it's sort of set apart. To start, comes mudguards. Well, you can buy mudguards for it. Full cover. Full. Proprietary mudguards? Proprietary mudguards, but they're full cover. They're really well designed. Canyon claims you can take them on and off in like 30 seconds. I actually have a set that I'm yet to fit, but they clip into um, mounts on the end of the through axles and then a little mount on the back of the fork. But the thing I'm most excited about are these things called the f um, fork sleeves. Now, Tom, Marvin, you're a man who likes gravel riding. Mm. Gravel riding is defined by strapping stuff to your bike. Yeah, absolutely. How, how, how can you ride 30 kilometers without a full bike packing kit? Well, <laughs> but what about the times you don't need those things? Well, Canyon has developed these really cool fork sleeves, which are, are as the name kind of suggests, sleeves which go into the fork, clamp in place, and give you cargo mounts on the fork, where if you don't want them, you can slide them off and take them off, and they could take up to three kilos each. I think it's a really neat, cool Is design. Is that really a better solution than just having bottle, like, bosses in no. the fork? No. <laughs> I personally don't care about having bosses in a fork, but I do know that, I, I, I'm slightly making assumptions here, but I know that to make a cargo suitable fork, you generally have to overbuild it mm. to comply with testing standards. My guess here is that Canyon has gone for this solution because one, it looks quite neat without them on. But I think the sleeves and the way that they mount probably means they don't have to overbuild the fork. And certainly in my testing, I've not found the front end to be like overly harsh, which I have found of gravel bikes which are designed to take luggage. So I suspect that's possibly partly the reason. But I just think it's a really neat solution and the sort of whole suite of accessories elevates it above other bikes. I think it's very, very cool. And my full reviews on bikeradar.com and on the YouTube channel. Amazing. A multimedia onslaught Done for this all. particular bike. What can I say? Final bonus question. One hour question. We'll talk very briefly. Last week, Specialized launched <laughs> a limited edition run of 300 Athos, which is their uh, lightweight uh, climbing bikes, um, equipped with Campagnolo's Super Record wireless group set, which is really, really expensive, culminating in a really, really expensive bike at £15,000 a pop. Just want to hear what you think. Tom. I'm all for it. Why? Why? <laughs> Why not? No, that's you good. Can buy you, you've won me over. You can a coffee machine. 
you know, you can buy a, a car that costs you three million. Yeah. Like these high end Halo products exist. They'll be bought by a small selection of people who can afford it. Three hundred people. Three hundred people. And you know what? They'll sell every single one of them and fair play to them. There are economics economic economists. There are, <laughs> <laughs> there are smart you know, people. There are, there are smart people who, you know, this is it's that thing that comes up every time when we talk about bike prices. There are very expensive bikes out there, but there are people who have worked out that they can sell them. If they can't sell them, they won't, and they'll discount them, and they'll realize that next year they'll make a £14,000 bike. But and, what, and that's all well and good, so long as, and as bike companies are doing, they are making those bikes that are truly pocket-friendly better and better and better. So you don't need to spend £15,000 on a bike. And if you do, it probably is a bit ridiculous, but I applaud the fact that these Lord of- unreal expensive things exist. They're things of beauty. Wow. I can go Tom and buy, Reagan over there. Yeah. <laughs> I can go to my local art shop and buy a lovely print for 15 quid. That of a banana? Lo- of a banana. <laughs> I've seen that it. That was 65. <laughs> uh, that looks lovely in your kitchen. so much more now. What a so great much investment. <laughs> but you could also go and buy a Monet or a, a Rembrandt for millions. Zillions. Yeah. Great. Do what you want. Wow, what a, what a reasoned and balanced answer from Tom. Very unexpected. Simon, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as Tom. To be honest, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I think, <laughs> I, I think it's just one of those things. It's like not everything is for me, and that's no. absolutely fine. That there is a hundred percent a market for it. Yeah, you know, like bikes are generally getting way more expensive, but so is so is everything else. You know, bikes bikes aren't alone in that. Um, I, I would never in a million years buy this bike but I would never buy a Rolex either mm. you know I, I think they're a, you know, an expensive watch does exactly the same job as a cheaper watch and like yeah sure the kind of automatic movement mechanism is really nice but like yeah as Tom said same with cars and you you can you know you can run the full you know go through the full thing of like well you could buy six million motorcycles for this as, as people have in the comments <laughs> as they always do but it's but it's just like you know one that that kind of in my opinion displays a misunderstanding of economies of scale mm-hmm. in the sense that motorbike company you know the market for motorbikes is much larger and therefore you're going to sell a lot more of them you know the market for these as as we've already said is 300 globally mm. so therefore automatically the, the mm. price is going to be higher you know specialized is what are they doing it for for profit or you know like publicity i think they're yes. doing it for headlines and they've uh, they've, they've smashed it cuz we're talking about it now yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. What's your thought, Jack? Uh, we had quite a robust, a vibrant discussion this morning in our in our catch up, our right. editorial catch up about um, just bikes in general and prices. I was at that hill climb at Belmont mm. when I started hill climbs like four or five odd years ago. Like you'd you'd get people coming along and like wild bikes they spent zillions and millions of pounds on, but now it's the norm. Of course, there's loads of people showing up on like cheap budget machines, but I think it's very easy in our worlds, and I extend that to everybody listening to forget that like yeah there are people out there spending loads of money mm. on bikes and uh, I know like we were filming that video on Friday in a trail centre near to Bristol and like the number of people you see just smashing around on like seven eight grand yep. Santa Cruises and it's just the norm people are buying these bikes £15,000 is a ludicrous amount of money, but it's not when you compare it to like a new Range Rover or something. Mm-hmm. People with disposable incomes probably... I mean, this is the thing. Like That is a bike that 
you know, someone at the absolute top of their game, you know, in, in a professional sense, is going to be right. They might not even, because it might come, I don't know, does it come to the UCI weight limit? You know, like, these are bikes that, you know, or when you talk about a, a, a 12, 15 gram bike, that is the bike that the world champion is also riding, right? Marco mm. Marquez isn't riding a 15,000 pound motorbike around a, a, a Grand Prix track. He's riding a million pound custom built, mm. tuned for him. You know, it's not, this is like the best of the best. And if you're going to compare it to or a motorbike or a car, it's not the best of the best. I'm sorry. Mm. It might be cool, but it's not the best. There we go. Well, I'm sure you'll share our, your thoughts with us <laughs> on uh, us in our little uh, <laughs> gilded chamber. <laughs> anyway. I'll just pull my little silver spoon out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I, I know, you know, of course, we are aware that value is a really big thing mm. for our audience. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, a really it big thing for us. You know, we've already discussed that, like, you know, we're not earning Mercedes or Ferrari money. No one here drives a, a, a Range Rover. <laughs> so, like, you know, like I say, we couldn't. We, no. I don't think any of us in this room could afford this bike. And but that's absolutely fine. I'm not going to get annoyed by you know luxury brands making luxury products for people no. with loads of money because uh, you know ultimately, like Tom said, it, you know Specialized is a for-profit business. They're not a charity. Mm. But if they kind of you know use the, the these kind of high-end projects to kind of fund, know, yeah, fund their or kind of push their R and D forward. And it goes into kind of making their kind of cheaper bikes better. I, I don't want to, you know, say it's trickle down economics because I know that's like a myth, a myth, <laughs> and it doesn't work, and that's not how things work. But at the same time, you know, project, yeah, R and D projects do inform other things. Mm. So. I think this yeah. one's maybe not an R and D project. We'll call it a vanity project, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. but like just you know, in terms of like the ASOS yeah, know, itself was a you know, yeah, they said that oh, they you know, we used lessons learned from that in the tarmac SLA, and you know, who knows if that's true? But maybe they did, and and you know, like, it's, like they just as Tom said, they're going to make they they just they're trying to make money. That's just what they do, isn't it? That's Man's got to earn do. a living. All right, thank you very much, you both. As ever, all the stuff we've discussed today is in the podcast description. Please do send us your thoughts. I'm quite, I'm, I'm hand on heart, genuinely interested to hear from people on the flip chip mm. thing. Um, I, I, I often roll my eyes at them, but maybe I'm just not the rider out there who'd make the most of them. Used anyway. to do it on road bikes as well. Canyon used to do it on its aero. They used to have a flip chip on the fork to. Rondo. Yeah, Rondo still does. So anyway, let us know what you think, possibly a future podcast. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 